Hello and welcome to Page Parley. This is the show where we speak to authors or experts on the work we read on scintillating stories. Today we're speaking to teacher, writer and podcaster, Andrew Davey. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I'll work backward because it's probably easiest. (laughs) Currently, I'm in a uh, clinical mental health counseling program to get my degree in uh, mental health counseling, hopefully within the next few years. Mm. Uh, Before that, I had been a uh, teacher full time at the high school and middle school level, although before that I taught at the college level. Uh, And then I've had a variety of... uh, of other jobs um, that were always sort of able to service uh, me wanting to be a writer. I actually worked in a, for a theater company for a few years. It wasn't really until I discovered teaching that I felt like I'd had a calling. Um, ah. And then in 2018, I had a ruptured brain aneurysm. So the last couple of years have mostly been kind of recovering from that as well. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate in so many ways. Um, you know, obviously my physical limitations that I have right now are still very minor. Mm. Uh, and I am able to pursue my goals and, uh, you know, I can still write, I can still help people. Unfortunately, I know I'm in support groups with many other people who've had traumatic brain injuries Mm -hmm. who are unable to, uh, do as much as they would like. So I try to think about that every day. If I feel like I'm either not making progress or getting frustrated, it's a great way to keep things in perspective. Could you tell us uh, a bit about how you got involved in theater? Way back in the beginning, uh, when I was in high school, I was fortunate enough to act in some plays that the school performed. Uh, And that sort of was my first ever introduction to it. Um, Mm -hmm. When I uh, went to university, uh, I was a theater major. Mm-hmm. So uh, starting my junior and senior years, I took exclusively theater classes. I was able to write a one-act play while I was at school, uh, which they performed. So that was a really wonderful experience, which sort of uh, wet my appetite, so to speak. So when I moved back after I graduated, one of the first jobs that I, was, that I found was to be the office manager of a theater company. I was always very driven to be a writer of some sort. I, when I was younger, I uh, thought perhaps I would get involved in film mm. or uh, or television that I would end up writing for one of those mediums. Um, so when I had the opportunity to write, uh, they didn't have a film major at mm. the school that I went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up doing theater because it was the next best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And then I was able to sort of take advantage of the fact that uh, I could write a play. They would let me do that. um, Mm -hmm. And they were very supportive. So it all ended up working out really well. But it it all really came down to the fact that I was really motivated to see it through. And I was, you know, very, again, very fortunate that the opportunities were there uh, for me to take advantage of it. Completely. From what you've you've said, you've really capitalized when you have had good fortune and you've used that and that and your mentality to support yourself through the more the more difficult uh, stages of your life. After the aneurysm, I definitely have a change of perspective um, mm-hmm. just with regard to how fortunate I am in so many ways and also 
one of the things that I've become fond of saying lately is I've begun to see obstacles like their opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really being able to to you know navigate through everything. Jumping back in your timeline a little bit, uh, you were involved in a theater production company. I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about your experience with that? I had a job as the office manager for a non-union bus and truck touring company. So they would basically get the rights to Broadway musicals that had just finished their Broadway run. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I was there, they had just had Titanic, the musical. Oh, wow. Um, Music Man was the big one uh, Mm -hmm. my first year. And then after that, uh, like Miss Saigon. Um, Mm -hmm. So what they would do is they would uh, essentially cast the show and scale everything down a little bit so that it could load in trucks and then tour throughout the the U.S. Basically, um, we had a booking department who would, a couple of years ahead of time, have already booked the show and created the tour. And then the next year, the uh, the tour would commence, and it would hit sort of small locations like, um, you know, like Skokie, Illinois, or. Uh, Amarillo, Texas, uh, things along those lines. You know, th- wa- a place like Washington D.C. would probably be a too big of a market. Mm-hmm. Um, I know every so often the show might go abroad. I think while I was there, we had Forty Second Street, which uh, ended up playing in Japan, and wow. then uh, they did a version of Tommy, the Who's Tommy, which played in the Netherlands. I was responsible for the day-to-day operations, so I would answer the phone. Um, and distribute faxes and basically help anyone in the office that needed help because there were only about six people that worked there. Wow. Um, when I was at my desk, if the phone wasn't ringing or no one needed my help, I was essentially on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I had a lot of downtime during the day that I would use to, to write something or you know work on, work on the computer at my desk. Uh, so when my boss asked if I wanted more responsibilities, I told him that, that I didn't because I was using the time that I had. Um, right. Yes. Which he was he was fine. I said, as long as I'm doing a good job and I'm not shirking my responsibilities, I sort of like things the way they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was fine with that. So it ended up being a win win for about four years where mm-hmm. I I sort of learned a little bit of the ins and outs of how everything worked. Um, But I was always using the time to sort of uh, write or, or to try and do some other creative endeavor. Mm -hmm. So it it sounds like you made the most of the time you had, you know, you were involved in a creative pursuit because you were helping to put on these shows. And at the same time, you were also fulfilling your personal creative need. That's absolutely correct. And I wish I could have appreciated that perspective of it back then. Mm-hmm. I think every day was sort of, you know, trying to find the right balance between uh, putting in 100% effort to the job and putting mm-hmm. in 100% effort to my own creative personal outlet. Yeah. Um, and just sort of figuring out so that I wouldn't get burned out or so that I wouldn't start regretting the things that I had to do with the job. Mm-hmm. But I did I did make it work like that for about four and a half years. 
And then the uh, company started to downsize a little bit. So they needed me to do more uh, things around the office until the balance shifted that I basically didn't have time to work on any of my own stuff anymore. Um, And that was why why I ended up finding a different job uh, Mm -hmm. outside of the theater company. That yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, especially if that's something you prioritize in your life, uh, having that balance. More recently, you've been writing short stories. So how did you how did you get into that? In 2008, I had been working in finance, and the subprime mortgage crisis hit and sort of shattered the stock markets. Oof. So I was sort of forced to find a new uh, job or or career. Um, And it was at that point that I realized maybe going back to school and getting my MFA in creative writing Mm. would be helpful because writing, you know, I I needed the help. I needed the guidance. I was lucky I got into a program. uh, And when I got there, my my thought was, well, I'd like to write uh, longer form things, uh, you know, books. Uh, I was still very much influenced by fantasy novels or crime fiction novels, things things like that. When I got to school, I realized it's a lot easier to give uh, your class a short story to have them critique, um, which which they can read in one sitting and remember everything that happens, rather than say, well, this is part 17 of my novel. <laughs> by the way, don't forget that, that you know someone died on page 10 that you got to remember because that's integral to the plot. So (laughs) practically, it made more sense to to shift to being a a short story writer instead. And then I just sort of really enjoyed all the aspects of writing a short story. It gave you the freedom to do a lot of things that you wouldn't be able to do. Over the next couple of years, I could sort of incorporate uh, ideas that that either my, my professors or other students, and then we would read a lot of great work. So for the next I would say uh, six years, Mm. I would write and submit short stories to journal, like online journals or things like that. In the beginning, I wouldn't get a lot of work uh, accepted because I was just sending it everywhere. I didn't really, I didn't sort of realize that you could read and see what journals uh, wanted. And then I was able to sort of figure out like, oh, well, I tend to write a lot of pop culture heavy short stories. And these journals are into that as a subject matter. So maybe I'll just focus on them. In 2018, 2017, I think, Mm -hmm. I read a book called You Were Never Really Here by an author named Jonathan Ames, Mm -hmm. who usually writes uh, comedy. Uh, But this was sort of a hard-boiled detective book. So Mm -hmm. I thought, well, if this is an author who's dabbling outside of his chosen genre, then maybe I can give it a try again. So that was sort of the the catalyst for me getting back into writing longer form stuff. Oh, fantastic. So do you think that your experience with performance, uh, both in your your education and then later in your working life, do you think that influenced your writing? Uh, Definitely in the beginning. Uh, I would say for the first few years, uh, a lot of my work was very visual um, mm-hmm. or very much incorporated all, you know, all the five senses. I was coming at it from a performing arts perspective, mm-hmm. uh, writing prose that way. 
and I, it's interesting that you point out the visual nature of it because some art forms are better at portraying different uh, different things. So, do you think that uh, visual? Do you think that visual descriptive writing has its place, uh, or do you think that it's better to focus on different things? I think it certainly has its place. I think uh, there are a ton of great ways to tell a story. Uh, that can rely on a lot of different techniques. You know, you could you could have six people tell the same story and it'll come out six different ways. <laughs> yeah. um, when I would teach creative writing, I would always uh, have a, a photo I would put up of the silhouettes of two people's heads. Mm-hmm. And the one on the left was the writer and in their head was a picture of a tree. Um, mm-hmm. And in the right uh, person's head was a question mark. And it's basically... You're as the writer, you're trying to get the other person to imagine the tree you're thinking of a- as close as you possibly can. So how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I'm working on a series uh, of books right now mm-hmm. about um, two unlicensed private investigators that work out of a diner. Mm-hmm. And in the second book, so the the one of them basically never leaves the diner. Uh, he just stays there all day. He's the face of the operation. He just mm-hmm. stays there all day eating pancakes and bacon and drinking coffee. Yeah. And people who come in will will talk with him about problems they needed handled. And then his partner will do all the legwork. Right. Um, and since the partner, uh, the partner doesn't like for there to be collateral damage from his job. So he usually doesn't stay in the same place for very long. Okay. So in the, in the second book, He's living with a single mother and her daughter, mm-hmm. and the single mother is a nurse, mm-hmm. and one of the patients she's recently had had a ruptured brain aneurysm. Ah. So I basically were, was able to incorporate my own experience uh, into that. So I, I and then I I love to name either characters or places after friends. Um, it's just a fun sort of tip of the cap. To them, uh, sometimes you know there's an inside joke that that I know no one will get except for you know one specific person, but mm-hmm. it's sort of worth it. Like if I name a street that the main character is on after that inside joke, that it's just fun. Oh, fantastic! I I know that you've written some things that are less fictional and and more about your actual experiences. I think uh, you'd mentioned to me that one of your one of your goals was to help people to feel less alone in their experiences. When I was in graduate school for writing, uh, I read an author named David Foster Wallace, mm-hmm. who's, if you get the chance, you should read some of his work. He's He was very prolific. Unfortunately, he's passed away. Ah. But um, one of the things that he said was that good writing helps people feel less alone. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking how profound that was and it also doesn't necessarily have to do with with good writing. It can be there are a lot of things out there. Uh, I think if you can realize that what you're experiencing isn't unique, um, that a lot of people have sort of been through it before, yeah. um, that's really comforting. One of one of the the things that really helped me if I was struggling during my recovery from the aneurysm was just knowing that I wasn't alone in experiencing it. Um, yeah. So. Oftentimes I would read message board posts or I would post something uh, just saying, hey, is this typical? Uh, I feel, you know, 
uh, X in the morning. Um, and people would reply and say, no, no, that's, that's how I felt. Uh, and somehow that would just make it, even though the problem still existed, yeah. it comforted me just to know that, that that was something that other people had experienced. So I had written a memoir, which covers the recovery from the aneurysm, um, as well as some of my online dating experiences, relationships, jobs I've had, uh, just because I feel like if I can provide that for other people, Mm -hmm. then that's a really wonderful thing. Um, That's sort of why I got involved in doing this uh, counseling program, because I felt like I was in a unique position to offer support to people who are struggling. The nonfiction that I've written has, uh, I've been motivated to help sort of other people who might be struggling. And that's been a big, a big factor in it. I'm really glad that you're you're using your experiences that way. That that's uh, it's a very positive way of doing it. Every story is different, and all stories are good for different reasons, and they're bad for different reasons. Um, but what do you personally think are some of the ingredients to a good story? Every good story needs some sort of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would sort of be you know, and and when I was much younger. I used to think the conflict had to be massive. Um, I remember, uh, I don't know why they had us read this in junior high school, but I remember reading James Joyce <laughs> and we read we read Dubliners. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember thinking, okay, I'm reading a story about a guy who's having a midlife crisis. He goes down to the shop to get some milk and then he goes home and that's the story. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this is, why why can't he foil a mugging or you know steal something from the store do something you know it wasn't until much later that i realized the sort of that he was wrestling with a lot of existential questions and probably mm. dealing with things that at at the time at the age of like 12 i had no concept of yeah um, yeah so i think uh certainly conflict is necessary for every good story uh, in some way shape or form some stories work best with a beginning middle and an end uh, some stories just work well with a sl- sort of a slice of life type approach um yeah. you know I, I i recently was thinking in the last book that i gave to my publisher that i really capitalized on um something called dramatic irony yeah. where the audience or the reader knows something that one or more of the characters don't. Uh So I I tried to really capitalize on giving the reader information about a character. And then someone else in the book would meet that character for the first time and learn something that the audience or the reader already knew. Um, So I think, you know, as you continue to develop as a writer, uh, you sort of figure out how to play to those strengths. Do you have any, recommendations or tips for aspiring writers? Sure. I, I, the, the first, I would have two, basically. The first is try to read, um, you know, really great works by people. Um, see how it's done by somebody who, who's at the top of their game. Um, that can be short stories. It can be books. It can be essays. Uh, but but it, it's it's all out there. I used to explain to students sometimes that uh, you can tell what literature is, you know, if you compare that to sort of like 
a good cut of steak from a steakhouse um, versus something that is not, you know, very good, uh, but it's enjoyable. Um, you, you know, you'll, you'll have fun reading it. That's sort of like eating fast food. Um, yeah. and it's certainly, it's certainly fine to, to do both. Um, I wouldn't say you should completely cut all the fast food out of your life, no, but, yeah. um, but you're not necessarily going to learn as much reading the easier books that aren't written very well. Mm. Um, so that would be number one. Number two, I think people, uh, think that in order to write well, you need to follow a certain uh, set of criteria. You know, they, they'll they see articles about authors who only work from like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. and they'll work for two hours straight and they'll drink seven cups of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always say, think of, think of writing like you're training for a, a, a sport that you want to be able to do under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. So, if um, if you can write in a crowded Starbucks with people talking, great. Um, if you if you can write in a quiet place, great. If you can write in a moving vehicle, um, so really try to uh, find some time that you can work. Uh, you know, it, obviously every day is difficult, but um, for a little bit of time each time, yeah. and try to vary it so that you're not dependent on you know, one thing, like you don't need to be in a quiet place with, uh, with, um, the fan going and that's the only way you can work Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just keep with it. That's the other biggest thing. So many people get discouraged and they give up, but it's not, it's not going to be a straight line. Uh, you know, it's going to move in a spiral. You'll, you'll feel like you're making progress and then you feel like you won't. And then you'll feel like, okay, well, what am I even doing here? I should, I should just give all this up. Um, And that's, you know, that's what everyone goes through, I think. Uh, But it's really sort of understanding that it's not going to happen overnight and to try and keep your options open. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us today. If people want to hear more from you, where can they go? Everything of mine uh, is on a website that I have, which is just uh, www.andrew-davy. That's D-A-V and victorie.com. Um, and that has links to all my social media pages, uh, any of any of the writing I do. Um, I also uh, co-host a music review show with my friend Heather mm-hmm. called Happy Hour with Heather and Guest. So it's sort of a one-stop shop. Fantastic. Brilliant. I hope everyone heads over there. Thank you so much for listening. You can read more from Andrew on his website. I'll leave a link in the description. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.